members here at the church and in the middle of this pastoral transition he volunteered to do a sermon uh, to fill the pulpit one of the weeks and excited to have him be with us and to share some thoughts that tie in with our Lenten theme for the season. So Brian, thanks and I'll hand over to you. Thank you and uh, good morning. Uh, I was mentioning to one of our elders earlier in the week that uh, that catchphrase preaching to the choir. Well, literally this morning I'm preaching to the choir. It's not a very big choir at that. And I hope there's some Auburnites and other friends and relatives out there. In fact, I was going to do a shout out to Tom from the bridge and his wife Michaela. And Riley, I hope you're watching too. Um, I actually YouTubed a, an old episode of Romper Room and you know, I just felt like I got my magic mirror and I see Kendra and there's Barb and oh, there's Mel. I look way out west, my son and his wife Mia got up early and maybe my granddaughter's awake and there's Grandpa and there's my daughter Mel and the other Mel. So I, uh, if technology does what technology does, hopefully this will work and I'm not responsible for that so I can only do what I'm responsible for. Um, I, uh, the advice from Daryl or I don't even know you call it advice was 30 minutes and no more, but I don't know if that was supposed to include my introduction and my welcome and my story and, you know, my conclusion. I feel like I have so much uh, to tell you that maybe I should just beg your forgiveness now, although I will try to talk fast and get there and get her done. And uh, one of the things, well, I'm going to get comfortable, I hope you're comfortable, but uh, key verse, I think everyone should have a key verse and I am from Second Chronicles 16 and 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Um, I, I appreciated the songs that were picked out and great, um, the power of the Lord. And uh, as also, I had to laugh when great is thy faithfulness, there is no shadow of turning with thee. And I hope we get there, because you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, the other thing, it'd be hard, I am a rookie, so trying to follow my notes is uh, difficult at times. So back in the 60s, my parents found themselves with a growing family and only 50 acres of land, and uh, no one close to them wanted to sell their property. So that's how we ended up with the farm on Maloney Line in uh, Ennismore. And I really have to ask where am I supposed to look because Tracy's here and there's a camera there and there. So is that the best one? <laughs> okay, I'll try and look over there. Um, anyways, uh, they found a property in Ennismore on what is now Maloney Line, 135-acre-ish with a small house and an old gray barn. Now, this barn was probably 100 years old, at least at that time. And I know there was a carpenter named Bill Mann who breathed uh, extended life for years to come into a lot of these uh, older structures. And I remember putting steel cables on the upper plate in the barn to stabilize the, the structure. Remember, the barn doors downstairs weren't wide enough for modern equipment, and a couple of stones were loose. And we took... Uh, and framed it up and made forms and put a beam overhead and made it wider and uh, things like that. I remember we found some hemlock 
logs on the farm or trees, and we cut them down and had them cut out probably at Tedford's sawmill, and put some new planks in the barn floor. Now, this older building was uh, actually built into the side of a hill, had the common stone foundation, but instead of two big gangways that you, you'll see in some structures that go up into the barn, you could drive in pretty much on the level. And uh, if you were looking at it from would be the, the north side you would, that you would drive in on, you would see there's a mow on the left, there's where you drive in, a mow in the center, another place where you drive in, and another mow. So one day, um, jump ahead about 20 years into the 80s, I take my pride and joy, a 1978 Ford diesel tractor, 84-horse turbo with a factory cab. And we'd had Lakefield Farm Supplies come out with their grinder, they used to call it a daffin, and they would go from different farms in the area and they would take your grain and mix it with molasses and proteins and they would uh, make some chop for your cattle. And we, I hitched on a trailer and loaded all these 100-pound bags of grain in the front of the trailer. So a trailer and a wagon, the difference is the trailer's got two wheels, a wagon's got four. A trailer's much easier to back up. And uh, so I proceeded to back into the barn with this load of grain, and we would eventually slide the bags of grain down on a, a, to a manger to feed the cattle. But on this particular day, I got about two-thirds of the way back in the barn, and there was a kind of a cracking noise and a cloud of dust, and I blinked. And I found myself sitting in the basement of the barn. And you ever have those experiences when you think, this can't be happening, I hope I wake up soon. You know, and you either pinch yourself or you bite your tongue. And I, I know you've watched those movies or shows where you're thinking, what's this? This can't be right. This isn't... And they, you know, spring, it's the old dream sequence thing. Well, this was a nightmare, but it was no dream. It was reality. And, uh, you know, my first thought is like, after reality sank in, is how am I going to get out of here? Because the cab and the tractor was about four feet above the barn floor, and you couldn't drive it out because you'd have to rip up three quarters of the barn to get out, and it, was, it just wouldn't work. And uh, fortunately, it didn't prove to be too difficult, and uh, Somebody with a big tow truck came along and basically, once they got the front end of the tractor up, they just winched it up the wall. And there was minor damage to the tractor and there was quite a bit of broken lumber. But we discovered that in the post and beam construction, I don't know how much attention you've paid, you can Google it, but you take a big beam that may be this big around and you flatten the top for the other beams to lay on, then you chisel it down to this tendon, it could be maybe a three by six, three by eight, and you notch this beam over here and then that sits in there like this. So instead of a great big beam, you've got this, you know, three by eight or something, which is pretty sturdy, but it's supposed to have a post or part of a post under it. The post that goes under the beams that go this way should be big enough to come under that or it should have its own post. And we discovered that it didn't. <laughs> and how many times have I driven into that barn and how old was the barn? Um, it just goes to show you that, uh, you know, there's this weakness that was there all along and it was only revealed with certain pressure and certain circumstances. Now, I will admit there was a little bit of stupidity involved 
because this tractor weighed another couple tons more than my other tractor, and I'd piled all the sacks on the front of the trailer, which meant that the weight was all on the back wheels of the tractor. So that's my story for today. Hopefully we'll get back to it to talk about that a little bit more. Um, if you want to put your finger in 2 Kings chapter 18, the opening statement is Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king of Judah. But I thought to some people, like, what does that mean, king of Judah? What's a Judah? And uh, go back in history a little bit. The Israelites are in the promised land. Um, they have a theocracy. God is, is their king, so to speak, and Samuel is the person at that time that is the judge and the priest. And uh, so he gives them Saul. And Saul was always referred to as the people's choice, head and shoulders above everyone else, good looking. And he starts out humble, but he does mess up and he's not faithful to God. So Samuel anoints David, and eventually David becomes the king of all Israel, united nation of Israel. And his son Solomon, David was a warring king, but his son Solomon had, uh, was ruled in a time of peace, and he eventually built the temple where the center of worship where God came and placed his name, and he, you know, was loyal to God, and when, but when he became king, God came to him and said, you know, what do you want? And he prayed, oh Lord, give me wisdom that I might rule this great nation, that I would know how to do it. And God says, because you asked for wisdom and you didn't ask for money or wealth, I'll give you all three. And uh, he did. But wise as Solomon was, he didn't listen to God, and he took a lot of wives and concubines, and happened what God said would happen, they would lead his heart astray. So and later in life, he had, you know, different shrines and altars for his foreign wives, and he was not faithful to, to God. So when, Sol or when Solomon died, God split the kingdom. And the guy that got um, the northern tribes of Israel, he thought he would lose his kingship, so he decided that he would build a golden calf that the people could worship. So Israel, for the most part, were evil kings, uh, idol worship, and they didn't follow God. There was a few good things in there. The kings of Judah, which represented mostly Judah and Benjamin, two of the tribes, and the Levites and the, and the priesthood stayed in Jerusalem where the temple was, and Jerusalem was the capital city. So then you have a series of kings on both sides down through the generations. And eventually you have King Hezekiah, but before him, I want to jump to his great-great-grandfather Uzziah. And uh, you've probably heard of him if you've read the book of Isaiah, in the sixth chapter, it says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And you have the seraphim there, and they're crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God of mighty. Isaiah has his calling. He is a man of unclean lips, whatever. So the prophet Isaiah was the king, or sorry, the prophet, uh, one of the main prophets. There were some other ones in the picture, but he was for about four generations of kings. And King Uzziah, I guess another thing I should mention at this time is humility versus pride. 
And just a definition that says, humility is recognizing that it is God and others who are responsible for the achievements in my life. Now, King Uzziah, uh, if um, you want to look up in your own Bible sometimes, Second Chronicles 26.16, he had a lot of things before this verse that says he was a really good king, he followed God, he had you know, many successes when he followed God, but when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction. And it just seems so odd that one day, seemingly, he got up and he decided he's going to go offer some incense on the altar of God. He's got the incense burner, he's headed into the temple, and the high priest faces him and says, King, don't do this. This is not right. Nothing good will come of it. And he starts to sputter and says, Well, I'm the king and I'm going to do it. And boom, literally, God hit him right between the eyes with leprosy. And uh, the all the Levites, I think there was 80 of them, were trying to hustle him out. And at this point, he says he wanted to get out because the Lord struck him. Now, history or whatever indicates that he could have lived for another 10 or 11 years as a leper, and probably his son co-reigned with him or was king during that time. You never see that he repented of what he was doing, trying to take the place of a priest and you know, get back on the right side of God. He lived for 10 or 11 years and died a leper. Um, it's tragic end of his life. But you'll see that through many kings. Even David had his pride when he numbered the people to see how many people he ruled over. But he repented and said, I have sinned against the Lord. So we always see that with David. In fact, all of history in the Jewish nation goes back to David. And God had made a covenant with David that his would be the line the Messiah would come from, um, from the tribe of Judah and a descendant of David. So that's important throughout Jewish history. So you have the great-great-grandfather Uzziah that fails at the end of his um, reign. And I just think of the stubbornness that, you know, how you're so great and yet you won't beg forgiveness. So then you get to the grandfather of Hezekiah. And the statement about him is in Second Chronicles 27, verse 2. His name was Jotham, and he did what was right in the sight of God. He's a pretty good king. He had a, just a few blurbs. He only gets about a paragraph that tells you the good things that he did. But the comment that I noticed, but still the people acted corruptly. The people still continued in their immorality. So despite him being good, he, he didn't affect the people. It didn't change the way the people were living. He was the leader of the people, and they just continued in their sin. So then you get to Ahaz, which was Hezekiah's father. His story is in 2 Kings 16 and Chronicles 28. And then it's interesting to you that Hezekiah, uh, well, we'll talk about Ahaz first, his dad, because he followed the kings of Israel, which was what? bad, evil, not good. And during his uh, reign, the paragraph or two, you'll notice that Syria took a multitude of captives from his kingdom. Now, there was quite often civil war. We're talking, was it 40 generations of kings before you get to the Messiah being born? So, you have uh, hundreds of years. But there was quite often civil war between 
Judah and Israel. They did not always get along. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. And sometimes God would use Israel to punish Judah and probably vice versa. But Hezekiah was what you call a hot mess. Or not Hezekiah, sorry. Ahaz, his father, he, he was just all over the map. And uh, he was being punished by God. And it said, God brought Judah low because of his sin. And just a few of the things, Syria took a multitude of captives. Israel killed 120,000 of the army of Judah in one day, and they also carried off 200,000 captives, women and children. But God sent another prophet, not Isaiah, and said, what are you guys doing? I was using you to discipline Judah. You went over the top. You went too far. And now you're taking captive your own relatives. And he Fortunately, the wake-up call, a few of the people from Israel come out and said, you know, we have enough problems of our own. We can't afford to anger God more than he's already against us. And so they kind of like gave them clothes to wear, gave them food, bandaged them up, and they sent the prisoners back. Meanwhile, the Edomites and the Philistines, they're attacking his kingdom. They're carrying off captives. And so Ahaz, instead of turning to God, he tries to hire the Assyrians who are basically taking over a lot of the northern kingdom. He tries to get them to help, and they take his money and do nothing. So that's just a few of the things that that happened at this time, was Ahaz is just right off the charts. So then we have Hezekiah. At the age of 25, he becomes king. But what is his kingdom? He's the kingdom of Judah. He's the capital city of Jerusalem. Um, he's got the Philistines raiding, the Edomites, he's losing people captives to these foreign nations. Um, it's just a, it's a, it's a tough time. And he's got no role model from his father of what a right way to live. Um, oh, another thing that his father did, he closed the doors of the temple and he, he basically offered incense everywhere. It says under every green tree. That's a lot of places, I'm sure. And uh, he went to Damascus, who had defeated him, and he saw this altar there, and he decided, well, oh, that's pretty cool. I like that altar. It said, they beat me, so maybe I should worship that God. And he sent uh, to the priest, he sent a copy of the altar, and by the time he got home, the priest had made a copy. So he shoved God's altar over here. He closed the doors of the temple, and he pushed aside. He destroyed some of the artifacts, the holy artifacts that were used in the worship of the one true God. Made a false altar and started offering on it. And uh, anyways, it just goes on in the <laughs> time that he was king. So. I haven't really been following, following my notes, so I just want to make sure that I look at all the stuff I've written down. Okay. Let's look at Second Chronicles. That's what I wanted to kind of explain to you. And piecing this together, Second Kings is where you first hear about, um, well, all the kings, but you hear about Hezekiah. But then there's more written in Chronicles, Second Chronicles for Hezekiah and Isaiah has two or three chapters that refer to what went on at the time of Hezekiah. 
And there's some that's redundant, but there's always little pieces of the puzzle, and you're kind of looking at it, and I've done prayerfully the best I can do to try and piece it together so that you get an idea of what actually happened in, in somewhat of an order. So, we're skipping over to Second Chronicles, and uh, 29, verse 3 to 11 In the first year of his reign, in the, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests, the Levites, gathered them in the east square, and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and have forsaken him, and have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord." And turned their backs on him. They have also shut up the doors of the vestibule. They put out the lamps, have not burned incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the Lord God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he is giving them up to trouble, to desolation, to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, our sons and daughters. And our wives are in captivity. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel, that his fierce, fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that you may minister before him and burn incense. So I, Hezekiah doesn't waste any time. He becomes king right away, has a meeting. Levites, priests, We've got to turn this thing around. We're in trouble. God is punishing us for not following him. And he just, you know, I, I believe that men like a challenge. They really like to be challenged. If it's hard, we've got, we got some work ahead of us. It's sort of like, you know, uh, football where it's like fourth and goal, a TSN turning point. This is, our nation is in trouble. We have to do something. God is going to use you. He's going to use me. Let's get going. So you skip down to verse 17. Now they began to sanctify on the first day of the month, and on the eighth day of the month they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days, and on the sixteenth day of the first month they finished. Boom. They got her done. And uh, they went and told the king, and the king, they basically took all the articles, everything was ready to go, and what did Hezekiah do? The next day, he rose up early, and he gathered the rulers of the city, and he went up to the house of the Lord. They brought all these animals to sacrifice to make atonement, um, like they're supposed to do. They had bird offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings to the Lord, and they got right with God. And if you go down to verse 27 of Second Chronicles 29. Then Hezekiah commanded them to offer burnt offerings on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord also began, with the trumpet, with the instruments of David, king of Israel. So all the assembly worshipped. The singers sang, the trumpets sound, trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed and worshiped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David 
and of Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. So, you know, Hezekiah is wasting no time. He cleans everything up, everybody's sanctified, they worship, they offer the blood offerings the Lord required, and they dig out the instruments that King David had made hundreds of years before, and they're singing, and they have a praise time, and they're actually reading Scripture. I'm not sure if it's in there or not. Oh, yeah, it's the, the words of David and Asaph. So these are basically psalms or script, Scripture, and they put them to music. So music is such a part of seeing God's people turn around when they, well, now we can't meet together, but when they sing praises to God. I mean, it's just a sign of God's presence and uh, the joy that's in their hearts, and they're singing and singing Scripture back to the Lord. Um, verse 35, I did that. Now, Second Chronicles 30, and verse 8. Oh, the other thing, uh, they've got this done. Hezekiah says, well, why don't we celebrate the Passover? I mean, we haven't celebrated the Passover. They have all these feasts and festivals that they are supposed to celebrate to remember the Lord. And he says, we haven't done this for a long time. Now, it's already past the date they were supposed to, or too close a date, I guess, to do it on the day that the Lord said to do it. So they, you know, bumped it ahead a month. And they said, for two reasons, people need time to sanctify themselves and be set apart and purify themselves, and we need to give time for the people to gather. All the people were supposed to gather in Jerusalem at the temple to celebrate the Passover. So he, uh, he says, okay, let's do this now. And he, in verse 8, says, Do not be stiff-necked as your fathers, but yield yourselves to the Lord. Enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever. Serve the Lord your God. Why? That the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead, or those who lead them captive, so that they may come back to this land. For the Lord your God, what is he? He's gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So the date is set. They're going to have the Passover. They send out messengers to all Israel. Now, We'll get to this too, but a lot of Israel have been defeated. Like the Assyrians, if you look at a map in your Bible or somewhere, you'll see all down the Mediterranean, Assyria's captured all of these cities. They're on a campaign. And uh, it was just what they did back in that time. The spring, you go to war, you raid and plunder, you take what somebody else has, you take them captive, you take them prisoner, um, you take their city, and then you take captives like uh, quite often the lead people, uh, the gifted, talented people, and uh, this you repopulate another place in your land somewhere. So that distru- disrupts them so that they don't become organized and a pain later and uh, have to take the city again. And plus it helps take uh, skilled people to another city that you're trying to develop. But a lot of people have been taken captive, but there's still the poor people and other people so they have a mixed response. Some people just laughed at them. What are you talking about remembering the Lord Passover? Like, I don't think so. But 
Some people responded. It said, also the hand of God was on Judah to give themselves or to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of law of the Lord. So God was in this. Hezekiah was the king. He was organizing it, but God was in it. God was working with Hezekiah, and uh, you know the people of Judah were turning it around. Now, I'm gonna because of time and everything. You're gonna have to read a lot of this yourself. Um, there's a lot to being sanctified and set apart, like you're not supposed to have any contact with dead bodies uh, for a certain length of time. You're not supposed to have any leaven. Um, gosh, there's too much to go into. So that's why people would often come early to the city so that they could, uh, oh, you have to wash, wash your clothes sometimes, sometimes shaving. It just depends what the list is. So they all sort of get ready, but not everybody has time. And it says some of them, is it, uh, they didn't have time or they weren't quite ready. But it said, but Hezekiah prayed for them saying, may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, the Lord God of his fathers, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary, and the Lord listened to Hezekiah and healed the people. Now, I don't know. I took that at first, like lots of times, God strikes people that aren't obeying him, that aren't uh, whatever, whether they were getting sick because they were disobeying the Lord. And another one suggests that God healed their relationship with him. So however you want to look at it, we see that that Hezekiah prayed for them, and I wanted to say, God blesses the direction that you're going. You're leaning towards following God and changing to seek God, like he will bless your direction that you're going in. And uh, so these people wanted to get right with God. Remember the Passover, and Hezekiah prayed for them. Again, you're going to have to read some of that stuff on your own. <laughs> uh, the irony of this, I remember when I was doing a skit on uh, and researching an Easter skit in John 18 and 28, they took Jesus to the Praetorium, but they did not enter. They did not want to be unclean, and they wouldn't be able to eat the Passover. I thought... Uh, leaven has something to do with it too. You got to get the leaven out of your house and not have any leaven or eat bread with leaven. But the high or the priesthood or those that were trying to get Jesus sentenced to death, you know, had the Lamb of God there that they were going to kill, and they didn't want to be unclean by going into a place that could have leaven. Then, then they couldn't eat the Passover. How sad for them! Now their worship, Second Chronicles 31 and 1. I'll just read uh, the, the end of the chapter of 30. So there was great joy in Jerusalem, for since the time of Solomon, the son of David, the king of Israel, there had not been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites, 
arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came up to his holy dwelling place to heaven. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present and went out to the cities of Judah, and they broke down the sacred pillars in pieces, cut down the wooden images, threw down the high places and the altars from all Benjamin, Ephraim, Manasseh, until they had utterly destroyed them all. Then all the children of Israel returned to their own cities, every man to his possession. This was a revival in the house of Israel. I don't know how that transpires today, but back then, all this evil paraphernalia to worship false idols, after they'd had this tremendous time of praise and worship, when they're heading back home, they just ripped her down. They just said, no, we're following God now, we're going to get rid of this stuff. And uh, I just think in revival, you don't have to ask what sin is. You, you know what sin is. You, you know God is just working in your life. Now, skip to all the... Hezekiah had like one to four years of reforms and more. He's getting everything set in place. And it was interesting, as one more command that uh, the people should start bringing their offerings so that the priests and that could be supported so they could devote themselves to the word of the Lord. Now, it's interesting, I think for three or four months the people were bringing stuff in and they started having heaps of stuff and heaps and heaps. And Hezekiah comes up four months later and they go, what are all these heaps? And he says, the people have been giving. Another sign of revival, giving. We had a message in giving. We don't often talk about it. But when there's revival, when people's hearts are seeking the Lord, they give. They filled the temple storerooms. They provided for all of the Levites and all the priests so they could devote themselves to God. They had all the, the orphans and the widows program, and they just, you know, all the social programs that were supposed to be supported by uh, the tabernacle and whatever, it happened. So that was one more thing. But then, um, in the fourth year of his reign, the Assyrians set siege to Samaria. It was a huge uh, city that was left in Israel. A lot of them are gone. And that was an easy way to uh, have a victory back then, as you would set siege to the city. And instead of like having your men die, I mean, the guys defending usually had the advantage. They, they had the high ground. They could throw rocks on you. They could do all this stuff. So you basically shut the city off. You didn't let anybody go out and go in. They only had what they had on the city. And eventually, um, you know, they would get so hungry and, you know, just run out of supplies. And then you know, the city would be taken. Like I said, they took off captives and took them to other cities and, you know, put some of their own guys in there. So Samaria took three years to fall. And so we had all these successes. Where did I want to go? Then after all of these things, Oh, chapter 32. So, Hezekiah sees Samaria fall, and uh, he's about like 15 years into his, or 14 years into his reign, thereabouts. Again, it's a puzzle. And at the end of 31, thus Hezekiah did through it all Judah, he did what was right and what was good and true before the Lord his God, and every work that he began in the service of the house of God and the law 
and in the commandment to seek his God, he did it all with his did it with all his heart, so he prospered. But the next chapter, after these deeds of faithfulness, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, came and entered Judah, and he camped against all the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. So sometimes as Christians we think, you know, we're doing everything right, and then something bad happens. And you think, well, what is, what's, why is this happening? I've done all these good things. So, anyways, now Judah is, like I said, there's other cities. Jerusalem's the capital city. So Assyria comes, he brings his army. He's got Samaria a few years before. Um, I don't know what happened in the interspace or interlude. But Assyria comes, and they're at Lachish and some of these other fortified cities of Judah. And then the king of Assyria's representative comes up. Or, Well, it says... Hezekiah knows he's coming. So he consulted with the leaders. One thing you probably heard about Hezekiah, they had an engineering feat. Why should the enemy, the king of Assyria, come and find much water? They have this engineering. They close up the spring and the stream, and they run it down through the city to the pool of Siloam so there's no water outside for the enemy. He builds up the towers. He builds up the wall. He makes a whole bunch of spears and weapons to throw at the the bad guys and uh, does whatever he can. But he's had all this success, but then, you know, the Assyrians are knocking on his door. And basically what happens, they bring a kind of a representative of the army up, and uh, the Assyrian representative is talking to Hezekiah's representatives, and he's chirping him. He's speaking in Hebrew. They say, well, why don't you speak in Assyrian? We know that language, and they speak it in Hebrew because he wants an easy victory. He's telling the people what's going to happen you know, give up now and I'll take you away. You'll have a nice place with your own vineyard and everything. You'll, you'll like it. And they said, don't let Hezekiah fool you. He said, we've defeated all these other places with all their gods. They were like nothing. They couldn't stand before you. What's he telling you? Your God will be like the gods that these other countries. No, he's chirping. And he's speaking to the people because he wants an easy victory. And he's saying, you know, don't let him fool you. To put it mildly, he spoke in street language, but he basically said, you're going to be so hungry and thirsty, you'll be eating and drinking your own waste. Like, it gets pretty serious. But anyways, Hezekiah's two representatives go to the king. They've torn their robes. They go to Hezekiah and say, oh, it's bad. He wants to, you know, he's going to get us, but he's saying this about God. And so he sends the two people or his representatives to Isaiah and said, Isaiah, like, look, this is bad. Uh, Please pray for us. You know, maybe God heard him. Maybe God will rebuke them. So Isaiah says, don't worry. God says, I got it. I'm going to put a hook in his mouth and a bridle in his mouth, and I'm going to take him back to where he came from. Don't worry. So when the Assyrian representative goes back to his boss, there's a rumor that Ethiopia is attacking the homeland and they have to go back there. Well, he's kind of ticked off. He's, he sits down and writes a letter and he said, basically, uh, we're leaving, but <laughs> don't, don't think we're not going to take your city. We're, we're going to. He said, uh, you know, basically chirping. He basically puts it in writing and he compares God to the gods, the useless idols and Again, they go to Hezekiah, and Hezekiah puts on sackcloth, and uh, 
I just wanted to mention how demonstrative the Jewish people were. Like they, you know, they tear their robes, they put on sackcloth, um, which is just a rough material that's not very comfortable, it's not very stylish. It just shows humility that they're, they're humbling themselves. He prays and he takes this letter and spreads it out in the temple and says, oh God, he said, you know, it's your name. He's saying, you know, he's calling you out. He's saying that you're just like these other ones. And uh, so basically the message that God says, don't worry, I got it. I'm going to take care of his army. But the funny thing is, you realize there's a whole lot going on. It says around about this time, Hezekiah was sick. And I get the feeling that he's sick when this is going on. And, uh, you know, and Isaiah comes to him and he doesn't sugarcoat it. In fact, he says, you know, set your house in order, you're going to die. So Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and he prays, oh Lord, remember my faithfulness, remember how good a king I was, and he wept bitterly. Now weeping bitterly sounds like he's kind of ticked off, but Isaiah doesn't even get out of the courtyard, and God says, go back. So he goes back and says, God has heard your prayer, and for David, and for his own sake, he is going to act. Remember I told you the covenant with David? So he's got to preserve the kingdom so there'll be an heir so that his promise to David will be true. He's not doing it just because Isaiah's a nice guy. He said, God is going to add 15 years to your kingdom. And uh, then again, there's this thing Isaiah says, take a, a poultice or a lump of figs and put it on the boil. We don't know what a boil was, but we know he was going to die. And this is like a home recipe. Why they didn't use it before, I don't know. Um, you know, apparently, eventually, figs did the trick. But God, through Isaiah, said, I am going to give you a sign. Now, a sign or a miracle is a natural or supernatural event that happens with precise timing so as to give glory to God. So the sign he offers to give him is that the shadow and the sundial will go ahead or backwards. Now, we haven't used sundials for thousands of years. You could probably see pictures in uh, Wikipedia and all that. It's basically... If you've been outside even today, you'll see the shadow, and if you just stood there and watched it, you would see the shadow as the sun moves, the shadow moves. Around 12 noon, it's right underneath you. So someone figured this out and said, well, we could probably tell time. So they angled a dial and marked it off in degrees, and they had some type of an angled rod that would cast a shadow, and so they would put it in a courtyard or somewhere in the right spot, and they would say, three o'clock, all's well which uh, it didn't work so good in cloudy days and it was pretty much useless at night, but it gave them an accurate timepiece. So God says, look, I can put the shadow and the sundial can go ahead, uh, I think it's 20 degrees or back. And he said, what do you want? Well, Hezekiah, smart guy. He says, well, it always goes this way. I think it would be a greater sign if it went the other way. So, you know, I'd rather see you turn back time. No, Speaking of time, I know we're out of time, but hey, if you have to get up and use the washroom and make yourself a sandwich, and me, what are they going to do, fire me? Uh, hopefully, I just wanted to put this uh, turn back time joke in there. Back in 1989, there was a song written for Cher called, If I Could Turn Back Time, If I Could Find a Way. I was going to say, how many people have heard of Cher? And I see that hand, because my wife is here, I brought her for that reason. 
But um, actually, Cher, if you look at her today, did find a way to turn back time. It's called plastic surgery. But at this time, it would be a miracle. It would be something to give glory to God. And so Hezekiah chooses. I think God was just saying, oh, way to go, Hezekiah. That is the right answer. I want to show myself strong. Turning back time, oh, great. That's the, that's the best. And uh, I thought, if I was God, how would I do that? I mean, I don't mean physically. God is God, and he can do whatever he is going to do. Like nowadays, people say, well, that can't happen because we'd all be flying off into space. There'd be earthquakes. There'd be tsunamis, whatever. God just did it. But I can imagine you're sitting there with your significant other on the porch and uh, saying, oh, isn't that a lovely sunset tonight? Oh, yes, it's beautiful. I wish we could just take a picture of it. Well, well, it's about 3,000 years until they invent the iPhone. Oh, that's right. Okay. Um, dear, honey, isn't the sky getting lighter? Isn't the sun rising? I think it is. But we're facing the west. The sun rises in the east. Well, that's a beautiful sunrise. And then, oh, the sun is setting again. Like, to me... What a perfect time to do it. Whether it's 20 minutes, it's speculated the amount of time. But what a beautiful way to do it. You know, everybody's going to notice. So basically, uh, God sends the death angel. Um, Babylon, or the, sorry, the, he kills like 185,000 of the Assyrian army. They go, they go to bed, they wake up, and I see dead people. And the king goes back and he's worshiping his own false god in his own temple, in his own land. Two of his own sons kill him and then run for their lives and one of his sons takes over as king. That's a short story of what happened, how God dealt with them. Why did God want to do a sign too? I think the sign of like 185,000 dead people is a pretty good sign. And why did God use such a tremendous miracle to show his power kind of for no reason other than that he's God, and yet he used a lump of figs to heal Hezekiah. Now, basically, the only blip that you see in Hezekiah's life of sin was the fact that his heart was lifted up with pride. He did not give according to what he got, so to speak. He, I think, the flaw in his life was ego, which we all have. He had all this praise and adoration he had all these people bringing tribute. Oh, you're the one that defeated the Assyrians. I mean, everybody that was like tremendous freedom, this big army is gone, don't need to worry. And uh, he was getting tributes and pledges and all the way to Babylon. It was kind of neat. The, the people in Babylon were known for astronomy and they had seen the wonder and they came to Hezekiah. They brought gifts because they heard he was ill. They heard he got better and they heard the wonder was given to him by God, and they were inquiring about it. And we saw that sunset, that sunrise, and wow, so, wow, and Hezekiah, yep, that was me, you know. <laughs> he's got money now, people are bringing money, he's very wealthy, he's got 15 years added to his life, but it says, if you look in the right place, you'll find that he humbled himself, and Judah did too, and God heard his prayer, and he forgave him. But the other thing, Isaiah came to him and said, why have you, um, what do you say? Why, who are those people and what did you show them? I show them everything. 
and I had more applications of that too. We can't get there, but he, he was proud and it was the day. He said, you know, your sons are going to be carried off captives and made eunuchs. Not a very fun thing. And his response, well, you know, the word of the Lord is true. Basically, there's going to be peace and prosperity in my lifetime. Now, where are we today? And uh, I just thought it was weeks ago when I was asked to do this, or no, I volunteered to do this, and uh, we're under siege. You know, we're locked in our homes, many of us, a lot of us are, praise God, are serving and uh, in nursing and hospitals and stuff. I don't know how bad it's going to get, um, but the enemy, I said, is under siege, and, he, and you know, it's just so relevant when you think of that, and that no shadow of turning with thee, God remains the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can trust him. I would hope that uh, we would see the nation turn to God through this. I mean, so many of us have gotten so busy with our lives. We started out maybe going to Sunday school, then we got older, life got busy, we went to school. It could have been you're from a broken home, and you maybe you blame God for, you know, your parents divorcing and having to leave your home and live with one parent, you don't like them as much as the other parent, like you could have all these things going on in your life, but God wants you back, and God is reaching out to you. God is calling us to get right with him, and things are probably going to get better before they're worse, but God can give peace and joy in the midst of this. We can learn from it, and we can, as Christians, uh, share our faith in a way that we probably couldn't before. But I just hope you learn from Hezekiah that uh, even though he had pride and at one point, but he sought the Lord with all his heart, and God is looking for people like Hezekiah that he can show himself strong. God wants to do the impossible. Uh, people do the possible every day. God says that he will do the impossible. So I'm just going to close in prayer, and I guess we have songs and, and Ben to come back up. But, uh, Lord, you know, meet us where we're at. I know I just uh, want you to take the, your word and uh, by the power of your spirit, uh, speak to our hearts. We just give you thanks for who you are. And we just pray that uh, you would bless us, uh, help us to live for you in these times of trouble, give peace and comfort um, to our friends who are going through family loss at a horrible time to be dealing with a, a loss. If, if there ever was a good time, there's there really isn't, but we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, minister to our hearts, and we thank you for your word whereby we live, and I pray that people get a Bible and read it. In the name of Jesus, amen.